Hello and welcome to episode 318 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carasino. <laughs> Were you going for the soft, you know, the jazz station here? <laughs> and I'm Tristan Carasino. You've got to speak into the microphone. Hey there. Uh, and we're coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion, Hello. Seattle Seahawks. Okay, oh, there's, that better for you? That's an yeah. appropriate volume. I, I feel voice shamed. Hello. <laughs> it's not your voice, though. This is cool, Papa Tristan. <laughs> it's someone else's voice entirely. For so Father's I Day. I don't feel like you can get shamed for it. Uh, well, we got a lot to get to and not a lot of time because the NBA draft is, is we record this, uh, approximately 18 hours away. And so, uh, uh, I need to get a good night's sleep before it was told by Woj on the NBA draft special that they did today on ESPN to do going to be lots of trades. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, there already was one today. Well, we'll he was speaking, speaking through the camera to you. Yeah, just he was it. like, rest up, Kevin Pelton. There's going to be lots of trades. It was almost a threat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it very much was. I was told by Woj. <laughs> uh, so let's start with our beer this week, which is the second time I've had this brewery this week. Future Primitives Queer Beer IPA, which did you know that Future Primitive is in the old Big Al's Brewing? I did White not. Center? No. It's a very exciting development. Uh, it's huge. I mean, they've been there several years, so it's not actually a development. But it's just like I realized that uh, uh, we should definitely hang out there sometimes, since or I should hang out there sometimes, since that's not far from me. But uh, this beer is, and the other one we're going to have on the pod soon. I promise you that. This beer is brewed in collaboration with and supporting their, our friends at White Center Pride. This IPA is packed full of Citra Cryo, Cashmere, and Galaxy Hops. Fantastic light body that supports the hops is clean and summery. Clocking in at 6.0% alcohol, this is a perfect beer for the warm summer Pride celebrations happening, culminating this weekend. So, All right. And also extremely appropriate for our first toast this week. Congrats to Talkin' Taco Time co-host Randy Cote, who won a second consecutive Symmetra Cup wow. with Team Harvey Milk as part of the Seattle Pride Classic this past weekend at Kraken Community Iceplex. Randy also picked for the All-Stars of Pride game, sponsored by Alaska Airlines, that I believe wow. was new this year. So a big Randy. weekend for Randy. Oh, my. So he's playing in a, there's a, uh, an All-Stars game from this tournament? Yes. When is that? That was, it was, it was also on Sunday. It's on not the like same a day. future. Yeah. Okay. No. And then he subsequent to that played another game with his regular club team, four games in one day for Randy. Oh my God. So. Wow. All right. I bet he had taco time on that day too. <laughs> he deserved it. He we, earned that we taco got time. Earlier, earlier today, the Talking Taco Time group chat was buzzing with some taco time news from Randy. I don't know when we're going to have time to record a new TTT, but uh, got some developments to share when we do. So that's a, that's a tease, as they call it in the business. You're oh, going to want to listen stuff. to that. That's good stuff. Or in our next toast, congrats to Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart, chosen all-star starters and selected as co-captains for their team in the game to be played July 10th at Wintrust Arena in Chicago. It's the record 13th all-star appearance for Bird, obviously her final one. And the fourth for Stewart. Congrats also to Kelsey Plum, chosen a wow. starter for her All-Star debut. It took a second for Kelsey Plum. She somehow, I, I was kind of shocked by this when I looked at the breakdown of the voting. 
Number one among guards, both fans, both media and player voting. Kelsey it was Kelsey Plum. Plum. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. I, I, she was on my ballot, of course. I, I had a media vote in this one. She was drafted by San Antonio, and then they moved to Vegas. That's Never correct. was traded. Yeah, she's played for the same franchise her entire Seemed career. like maybe there was a time that she could have been had. I, I mean, obviously, like, the Storm had Sue during that time period, but I feel like they kind of missed their window. I mean, there definitely were some conversations back then. I think San Antonio still, you know, valued Plum quite highly, even after, you know, a slow start to her WNBA career. And now you see why, because she had this ability. We saw it at UW, and it is blossoming on full display in the WNBA now. It's kind of awesome, though, actually. I mean, like, had she played here that entire time, there's a chance that she doesn't grow into the Kelsey Plum that we know today, to the all-star Kelsey Plum, if she would have just been back up to Superd. I mean, or Subert might have retired two years ago. They probably could have played together as well. But yes, it is just set up perfectly if Kelsey Plum does side back here as a free agent next offseason, which I do not think she will. I know. It's, it's kind of nice to just have a foil as well, though. Yes. A, a friendly foil. Not, not like Chet, Hol- Chet Holmgren style. A foil <laughs> oh, that you God. like. Right? <laughs> uh, Chet Holmgren seems like a lovely young man. Uh Congrats to Lauren Jackson, who will join the Australian Opals national team for a training camp next week. Jackson last represented her country in 2013 before her retirement, aiming to be part of the Opals squad as they host this year's World Cup Mm. in September. That's going to make things complicated for the return of the storm. Well, I mean, that's after the WNBA season, obviously. Ezzy Megbegore is going to be part of that team. She's playing for the storm. But this, as I've been trying to tell you, this is what Lauren is leading up to the comeback. It's not playing for the storm again, sadly, I don't think. <sighs> we'll talk later about the, there's a scenario with, that needs to take place for the storm even to have the ability to sign Lauren Jackson or, or anyone else uh, the rest of this season. But I, I just don't think that she's going to go fly, you know, an entire ocean away from home. It's more about being able to play in this World Cup on home soil and have that be a capper to her career. Do you think that I'm giving up hope here? Obviously not. Okay. So the other thing to note is a lot of people are reporting is this, is she's on the World Cup team, and that's not the case. That's not yes. going to be picked for a long period of time. This camp also, like, it doesn't feature Australia's best players. They're playing in the WNBA. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel feature their head coach, because she's coaching in the WNBA, Sandy Brondello of the Liberty. It features one of Australia's best players. Yes, it features more than one. Like, there's multiple good players who are at this camp, but let's just tamp down the expectations a little bit here. When do they announce that roster? I don't know what the specific date is, but I, I assume we've still got a month or two until that happens. So really, if we're cheering for the return of the storm, we might be cheering against Lauren Jackson making this team. <laughs> I guess so. I don't, I don't think they're correlated specifically. Let me give you the movie. <laughs> oh, God. Lauren Jackson does this epic return, right? Sets I'm, it up. I'm trying to think who would play Lauren Jackson in a movie. I don't, I don't know actors well enough to. I think Florence Pugh plays everybody. Uh, do, does this epic comeback? She's six foot six. <laughs> Unclear. Does this epic comeback? Right, works so hard, grinds. There's a montage cut from the Australian national team. Can't be an opal decides because she was shunned by the opals to return to Seattle where she started basketball in the WNBA to play out the last few games of their old teammate, Sue Bird, who is just about to retire. Epic moment. Huge moment that happens. They win the championship with the storm. Lauren makes the winning shot. It's Sue, a dish to Lauren for the winning shot. Because of that, 
the opals are like, oh my God, we've missed what was right in front of us. Lauren Jackson needs to return to the team. Then she gets added to the World Cup team and wins the World Cup in Australia. Wow. It's quite a story. It's coming. Uh, On this topic, also a toast to the 50th anniversary of Title IX on Thursday as this podcast comes out. Obviously, momentous occasion. Uh, I think back to one of my favorite articles I wrote when I was with the storm. <laughs> Most people say red. <laughs> You're just like, one of my favorite articles that I wrote. One of the my favorite articles I've ever seen that I wrote. I, did, I, I mean, one of my favorite articles that I wrote of the stories that I wrote. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> was at the 40th anniversary 10 years ago back in 2012. Nancy Darsh at that point was an assistant coach with the team. Someone who is a legendary, the late Nancy Darsh was a legendary figure in women's basketball, pioneering figure, one of the inaugural WNBA head coaches, and talking to her about her experiences as an assistant to Pat Summit, building the Tennessee Lady Vols program when they would, the two of them would each drive one of the vans, driving the players around to games and thinking about where Tennessee went from that. It was really, really a fun story. Did you listen to the Hard to Kill Steven Seagal rewatchables? I did not. There was a story in there where uh, like a producer came over to Steven Seagal's house and, and Steven Seagal answered the door and was crying tears. And he was like, I just read the most beautiful script. <laughs> what? They're like, wow, who wrote it? And he's like, I did. That's you. Like, I just read the most beautiful story that I've ever seen. Great. I said it was one of my favorites. I did. <laughs> I, thought, I thought the callback there was going to be the, it was your script about Lauren Jackson. The yeah, yeah. just read Oh, dear. I more concepted it. I think you're going to have to write the actual script. Oh, fair, fair. I probably do have the specific subject knowledge <laughs> to write the script. <laughs> I, I'd have all sorts of g'day mates in there. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Another shrimp on the Barbie. It's skewered on the Barbie. <laughs> um, uh, congrats to Jason Kelly, who will return to UW as Lindsey Meggs' replacement as baseball head coach. Uh, Kelly was the team's pitching coach from 2013 through 2019 under Megs, including during the Huskies' run to the 2017 College World Series before spending two years in the same role at Arizona State and 2021 as LSU pitching coach. Uh, so Huskies finding a new leader with the retirement of longtime head coach Lindsey Megs. All right. All right, next up. Congrats. so many toasts. A lot of toasts this week. Congrats to the Seattle Seawolves who beat the Houston Sabercats 46-27 to in the Western Conference we Final go. to advance to the Major League Rugby Championship game this Saturday at 9 a.m. on Fox. The Seawolves, who won Major League Rugby titles in both 2018 and 2019, had been set to miss the playoffs this year before the top two teams in the West, the Austin Gilgronis and the defending <laughs> champion LA Giltinis, were disqualified due to rules violations. Now, you may be asking... Why are the top two teams in the league, or the conference, named the Gilgronis <laughs> and the Giltinis? I have a lot of questions. It's a lot of questions here. They are both owned by Australian businessman Adam Gilchrist. Oh, my God. Who named the team? He's in the story. He's in the, in, <laughs> he's in the movie. In the movie. Yes. Is he keeping LJ off the team? I think so. He's the villain? After cocktails based on his name that he apparently hopes to sell, but hasn't yet outside of at the LA team's home games oh at the Coliseum. Oh, my God. The Gilgronis were reportedly disqualified based on cap circumvention, and the Giltinis subsequently disqualified because of something related to Gilchrist's response to that. 
<laughs> to his response because of the cap violations? To he the team bu- being disqualified. He was like, I'm, well, then I'm not playing with the other team. Something along those lines, it seems like. There's a person in Australia named Adam Gilchrist who took Negronis and Martinis, named them after himself, his Correct. own personal version of them, threw a gill on there at the beginning, and there was and decided to name those things Gilgronis and Giltinis. These were the names he came up with. And to advertise those drinks, he bought American rugby teams in Los Angeles. That's correct. I think he expand. They expanded there. Uh, I did a lot of research on this, as you I can imagine. Can't believe this information. Uh, the Major League Rugby Reddit subreddit. Uh, first off, one of the rules is you're not allowed to post threads complaining about the names of these teams because it's happened too many times. <laughs> complaining or complimenting? Why are they complaining? Uh, there was also a video of, of a Major League Rugby reporter, a rugby reporter drinking one of these at the Coliseum, the Giltini. Uh, and it just seemed to be a martini. Like the guy was reviewing it as if, as if Adam Gilchrist had invented martinis. <laughs> It seemed like it's reviewing. He's like, really? There's a lot of alcohol in these. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I don't really like vodka. There's a lot of vodka. Like, yeah, that's, that's kind of the point. It's unclear what dis- distinguishes a guilty from a martini. Wow, he's a, he's is a famous cricket cricketeer. No, that's. A, I think that's a different Adam Gilchrist. I How many Adam Gilchrists more, are there? <laughs> it's like Jackson over there. <laughs> it's like Jackson. <laughs> oh wow, that was. I even cracked myself up on that one. I want to see the Adam Gilchrist from the Gilgronies. I think you need to search Adam Gilchrist businessman. I don't know. By the way, the oh yeah, the Major League Rugby in crisis. I like that headline. <laughs> you see the stands and there's like 30 people there. It's like the crisis might have extended beyond... The Gilgronies and the Gildinis. Well, there may be a reason that you allow an <laughs> Australian businessman to have two teams in your league and name them after these drinks. It does indicate a certain something about your financial standing in the, <laughs> yes. is a league. I don't think MLS is that far off from this. Oh. There was a time. Look, if, if Asheville, North Carolina I mean, came to them with a team. I mean, Red Bull, New York is, in fact, named after the team owner, but it, it's, it flows a little bit better. And oh, like, my They God. have that in the Bundesliga, too, right? Uh, all right. Our Yet to be released cocktail. Yeah, that that's the best part <laughs> is that it's just not been released. Entered the league of the twenty twenty. I will say though, it is a nice looking logo. It's, it's just a martini with a G. It's a, but it's a nice looking logo. It's very clot. It's you, they should have some olives in there. I think ideally. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You've got be, some notes. Are we going to be able to move on? I really don't know. <laughs> derailed the podcast with this news i knew i was going to because our last toast this week is and we we loved this last week congrats to jamal crawford for being overwhelmingly elected to the pelton cast hall of fame as many votes in the sports category as the other three contenders combined crawford is to now fact check myself from when we introduced him as a candidate three times six man of the year winner who remains the nba's all-time leader in four-point plays 51 points in his final regular season game for the suns most ever by a reserve and made him the first player ever to score 50 plus for four different teams a, a seattle icon as we talked about then uh really the you know the the godfather of seattle basketball in this community 
stay tuned after the pod. I was able to uh, talk to Jamal Crawford, congratulate him on joining the Pelton cast hall of fame and, and talk about what to expect from the crossover this summer. So uh, be sure to listen for that at the end of the pod. And, and just a shame that he never got the chance to play basketball in Seattle. Like we talked about. And so Jamal, Jamal Crawford, NBA legend, Seattle legend. Sadly, sadly, No teams named after drinks that are as yet to be released that are named after him. I'm so sorry, Jamal Crawford. Oh, don't ruin Jamal's, Jamal's moment. So he will be playing basketball in the city of Seattle there this we go. Sunday. Honestly, like that's actually more of the realest shit ever is that he didn't play professional basketball in Seattle, but Jamal Crawford played a lot of basketball. So in much basketball in Seattle. He has a tournament named after himself in Seattle. That's almost like the Gil, Gil, Gil Gronies and Guiltinis <laughs> yes, is the, the crossover. crossover. Yes. There we go. So Jamal will be playing this Sunday in the Champions of Change charity basketball game at Clement Pledge Arena, along with current NBA player Isaiah Thomas, local basketball legends Will Conroy, Spencer Haas, Rashard Lewis is apparently coming wow. in, Nate Robinson, Jason Terry. Uh, Champions of Change co-founders are former Seahawks Cliff Averill, Doug Baldwin Jr., Michael Bennett. They'll be playing, joined by former Seahawks Jermaine Curse and Richard Sherman, among many others. Gary Payton and Sean Kemp coaching one team against Sue Bird and Marshawn Lynch. Uh, so an exciting event. I'll be there covering this. Tickets start at $10. So uh, definitely, if you don't have other plans on Sunday, a, a great cause to support. Uh, returning to the Pelton Cast Hall of Fame, the voting will begin soon for our non-sports inductee. And as a reminder, the nominees there, Capitol Hill Block Party, Ivers, Seafair, and Sir Mix-a-Lot. I can't freaking wait. I don't. I don't know who the favorite is here. Like I thought all along that Jamal Crawford was going to make it. That my was money's my on hope. Ivers here. Good. I'm, it's going to be interesting to see. With that, I think it's time for us to resume our search for Seattle's best barbecue, which took us this past week to Woodshop Barbecue in the Central District, which uh, is a little bit of background. Began as a food truck in 2014 before they opened their brick and mortar location in 2016. I didn't realize this until reading their website. The co-founders, Matt Davis and James Barrington, have different barbecue roots. Davis in Kansas, the Kansas City style, Barrington from Texas. And here's how they describe their process on the website. All our meats are smoked with imported hickory from the Ozark Mountains and post oak from Texas. We cook with stick burner offset smokers, only firewood, no gas, no electricity. The fire needs to be tended by our pit crew constantly throughout the day and night. Regardless of the day, we strive for consistency over quality. Quality is what we hire for. Consistency is what we train. Our meat is also chosen with the same level of nerdery as the wood and flavors. For example, we buy only the highest quality beef from Painted Hills Natural Beef out of Fossil, Oregon. We know the owner's sales manager sales reps, ranchers, where they pack, how they pack, how they feed, etc. They also know what we want and need to supply a consistent product to our customers. All right. So this is a serious barbecue operation. Absolutely. I mean, this was this was the barbecue that, aside from Jack's, which I've had quite a few times, this was the barbecue that I was most excited to get back to. And to me, that I went into the search thinking to myself, this was a real, real contender for Seattle's Best Barbecue. So I'd only been to Woodshop once. Me too. In 2017. Probably around the same time, yes. And I kind of remember being underwhelmed. Okay. So my expectations, I, I was eager to get back, but my expectations were perhaps not quite as high as, high as yours. And I went back, and I don't know what happened last time. I may have ordered the wrong thing. I vaguely recall having a sandwich. 
this so far is Seattle's best barbecue we've eaten. Wow. Okay. So I got the half pound of brisket, which I will say if I have one note, if you could have allowed me to do a quarter pound of brisket, a half pound of brisket is a is a healthy amount to have be the was smallest a, amount you was can Was it get. a lot? It was only two slices for me. Yeah, it's two okay. slices. Yeah. That's not that much brisket. It is if you're also getting a half rack of ribs. I did. I did the exact same order. This is side. No, that was a lot of. I you you ate that all yourself. I took a half a half of the half rack of ribs home and ate them for lunch today. Okay, so it was a quarter rack. Uh, let's start with the brisket. Okay. The first thing I liked, they asked me whether I wanted fatty or leaner cut. Wow. See, I didn't, I didn't get that. I didn't get that request. That's interesting because that's that's a that's an extra level of care to me. And what, what did you What did you say? Oh, I like my my brisket very fatty. Okay, good, good. I was gonna say if you said leaner, you're off the podcast. <laughs> oh, come on, like like bris- when you're eating brisket, that's not the time to go healthy. Uh, yeah, like, you just lean into it. Is that fun? yes? And and my brisket was indeed you know it was clearly from the the end of the cut, which I, is the way I like it, and was you know incredibly. Juicy, flavorful. The bark had kind of a sweetness to it that I thought was a really interesting flavor. I don't know if you you got that note. Finish your perspective here on the brisket. I mean, I th- I mean that was you're, you're done on you're done on the brisket. I I I again. I thought it was very competitive with Jackson, maybe even slightly better than Jackson, in my opinion. I, I will tell you, I judged Woodshop harsher than I would judge basically any other meal that I've ever had in my entire life. So understand that these are very, very, very high standards that they're having to live up to. Because I was judging it on, is this the bar- best barbecue in the city of Seattle? And to me, the brisket didn't really stand out that much. Like, it, it was one of those things where it's like, I can clearly tell that this is good enough that we should be going back here when we get to the bracket stage of Seattle's best barbecue. I did not eat it and say to myself, this is clearly Seattle's best barbecue. The brisket in particular, I found to be, it was like a little bit dried out. Hmm. The brisket, I thought, like I didn't really taste that much from the bark. On its own, I felt like the brisket was like, again, these are extraordinarily high standards. It was a teensy bit underwhelming to me. I was expecting to eat it and have it be the absolute best brisket I've ever had. It could have been that I went at the wrong time of day or whatever, because it was still good. It was still, and and I, again, not having it brisket to brisket with Jax. It's a little bit difficult to judge. So far, I'm giving the edge to Jax on the brisket. I mean, that speaks to the consistency aspect that they mentioned on the website. And I've said before, I think that's an important qualification. If you're going to be Seattle's best in a given category, you can't just be best on your best days. You got to be the best. And if we're going to recommend this to people, they've got to come away raving no matter what. Uh If you're going to be Seattle's best in a particular category, unless it's burgers, because some people are going to make rogue votes. votes. It is a great vibe at at Woodshop. Oh, the vibe is phenomenal. like immaculate vibe because I hadn't been on the patio. I don't. I'm not sure if they expanded to the patio at some point. No, the time I went been before. The same. Okay. I hadn't been on the patio before. I didn't know where I was going when I walked out of there. Like started to walk into where they were smoking everything. Oh, I was like, and this you can't be right. Love to see where they're smoking. Too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. For yeah. Sure. No, I want to see how the sausage is made. And then I'm like, oh wait, there's this giant patio over here. This is delightful. Yeah, no, it's awesome. There's both the covered part of the patio and the uncovered part of the patio. That's a perfect patio. Which part of the patio did you go for? I went for the uncovered. It stopped raining today. I went for the covered. It's very telling about the two of us. Was it because it was too sunny? Yeah, I was going to be sweating (laughs) in the sun. Needed that shade. (laughs) I went on a cloudy day, though. 
It's true. Yeah. Uh, I still would have been on the uncovered part of the patio. The ribs. Skin cancer be damned. Let's talk about the ribs. Okay. So it's definitely a very uh, rub-based rib as opposed to a sauce-based rib. Okay. Like it's not not very wet to eat. I, I agree with that. And yet... I didn't feel like I needed barbecue sauce when I was eating it because I thought that there was enough flavor from the ribs on their own. Okay. I mean, I thought, again, we're judging these from the highest possible standards, right? And so when we were having that conversation with Jordan McKay a couple weeks ago, phenomenal conversation, right? An enlightening conversation. I'm really kind of trying to judge based upon his description of here's how ribs should be. Here's how brisket should be. Because I think it, I think it's a pretty informed perspective. Of course. In fact, I have to say he wrote the book on barbecue. It is probably the most informed perspective <laughs> outside of Aaron Franklin himself. So when he talked about the ribs, right? He's like, here's how a rib should be. I, I agree with this particular complaint you're about to lodge. And he was like, it should be falling off the bone, but you should have to give it a little bit of tuck. There should be a little bit of resistance. A snap. And, and you pick up these ribs. Literally, the meat falls off the bone. Like I see, I didn't have that experience. No, like it I, came I, off easily when I ate it, but it I did grabbed not fall it off. and before I, I literally grabbed it with my hand and all the meat fell off of it. And it was just like, ah, it's gotta be, it's really tough. You'd rather have it fall off than have to rip it off with your of teeth. Of course. So like they're on the right end of the spectrum, but it was a little bit too far on that end of the spectrum. I'm not sure which one is the type one error and the type two error here, but the one you want is the error where it's it's falling it's, off. It is again, it is the minorest complaint. But when you eat a rib, you want to be able to hold on to the bone of the rib and eat the meat off of it. And so as it was, I I couldn't even do that, right? <laughs> it the meat just fell off, so I'm just grabbing at the meat itself. Which again, I'm judging this from the highest possible standards, but I do have to say, I think so far to me, Jax has them beaten on the ribs as well. That's a, a fair criticism. I've never had the ribs at Jax. So oh, those, I, it's, it's a different type of rib, right? So Jax does the longer rib, and it is a, again, phenomenal rib. I, they're both very good. I would be really, really curious. We're probably going to get down to a finals that is these two barbecue places, I would assume. We we don't know about the place in Marysville if we're even gonna ever go to Marysville. Oh, it's it's Marysville a wild for card. barbecue. I was sort of feeling it though. I had some of the spicy barbecue sauce from Woodshop, and I just like all day have kind of been like, wow. <laughs> but but I, I will say th- those were probably my two biggest complaints with this. Again, the I thought the ribs tasted great. Like there was a dude who was in there who just like got his bag and he was smelling. He's like, "This is good barbecue," and that's what I want. <laughs> I don't want I don't want people who are like working there being like, "That's good." I want random people who are there looking at you and being like, "This shit right here is it." You know, it's like that's the whole energy of we're at a good barbecue place right now. This isn't a neighborhood barbecue. This is a travel traveling to that location barbecue. And I think they, they, it I was think also they, a traveling barbecue because they still have the the food truck that goes out on. Do the they weekends. have a food truck? Yeah, you didn't see it. It was parked there on Tuesday when I went there. I don't know. I, didn't, I guess I didn't look. But uh, judging it with the highest possible standards, I think it is still. I think it's number two in Seattle. You got it, number right two. Now. Okay, so we have different rankings. I mean, obviously, you you had you had Rover ahead of Pecos. I don't even know. <laughs> I think so. I think I do have Rover ahead of Pecos. So the only thing I we don't agree on have any two barbecue locations in the same spot out of the four we've reviewed thus far. <laughs> That's kind of wild. I mean, they're not they're they're within groups of two. I think we agree about the tiers. The oh, tiers and, for and, sure. and it's really close. Where it was one of those things where it's like I I feel like if I had this again and the situation was just again it, it's like they're five percent off 
on both of the pieces. And if the next time I go, that 5% is that much better, then it could be like, I'm in. I'm good. I'm I'm super excited to go back. I, I thought the highest compliment I could give, and this speaks to the flavor in the rub, and there was also kind of a, a smokiness to the ribs that definitely comes from the wood chips that you're using to cook them. That's a sign of quality barbecue. I didn't use barbecue sauce on the ribs at all. Only use barbecue sauce to add it to my mac and cheese. There we go. Jalapeno mac and cheese. So, How is the jalapeno mac? It's good. I like couldn't stomach the price of adding anything else on top of the ribs. It was a, it was and a the very expensive meal that I ate. That is, that is I, and I, I don't know if they have the side versatility that Jax has. I, I, that may be the a, side versatility. A point of uh, contrast here. I also, because I'm always competing. Okay. To get Seattle's best barbecue. Had some on Saturday. Hello. At the Doug Baldwin Jr. Community Barbecue. We'll talk about this down the road because you're going to try this C. Davis Central Texas barbecue that I had on Saturday. Uh, chose from among, I think, the five or six barbecue spots that were there. Uh, uh, over 1,700 in attendance helping raise funds wow. for the United Way of King County that was the uh, co-presenting sponsor of this event. was really a cool vibe there. Uh, and in addition to the barbecue, it had other local food truck vendors serving full meals. And then other restaurants were just giving away as part of your $10 per plate entry fee desserts. So I had, a, a, as I posted on Instagram, a giant ube cookie, sa- cookie sandwich from our friends at Hood yeah. Famous. So good. That looks really good. Fuck barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Seattle's number one ube cookie sandwich. Ube uh, cookie ice cream sandwich. Yes. And then also had a, a cupcake from Chicorina Pastries in the Central District. So that was uh, that was quite delicious. And then I like was barely moving from the couch for several hours after that. The so combination of eating life. so much of that food. Just watching the Sounders and not, not trying to move as little as possible. But uh, great work by Doug Baldwin Jr. It's been a big month for him. He's had the community barbecue last week. Again, one of the co-founders of Champions of Change with the, uh, the the charity basketball game coming up this Sunday. So Doug continuing to give back to the community as we've expected. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the NBA draft is coming up Thursday night within 24 hours of when we record this. Several local prospects expected to go in the first round as we've talked about, Paolo Bancaro from O'Day and Duke mocked pretty much consensus number three. That's where he is in my ESPN colleague, Jonathan Gavoni's mock draft, the Houston Rockets. Seems like, you know, probably we could be surprised by who goes number There, there has been some momentum in the betting markets for Paolo to go number one, but that seems very unlikely to me that it's going to be, you know, probably Jabari Smith Jr., but anyone but him or Chet Holmgren. Then the other one of those probably goes to, and Paolo probably goes three to Houston is the the most likely scenario as we enter this draft. So he'll get the analytics glow up there. It's going to be a very dangerous offensive team if you got him, my guy Shangun, and Jalen Green all on the same roster. I don't know about the defense. I I I make no claims about the defense, but that offense is going to cook. Uh, Tari Eason from Garfield High School spent last year at LSU. We've talked about that a little bit, that he, he almost came back to UW, instead oh. transferred to LSU, <clears throat> established himself as a top prospect. He's uh, currently mocked number 17 from Jonathan Gavone. Uh, Where did he go at first? Cincinnati was his first year. So weird. Yeah. 
So somewhere on the edges of the lottery, just outside the lottery, I think is the likely range for Tari Eason, uh, given his massive defensive potential, how productive he was on a permanent basis coming off the bench at LSU. And then the third Seattle area prospect, Marjan Beauchamp, who has, I you know, was watched in the crossover for years uh, playing with Paolo Bancaro. Both of them played in the crossover as high schoolers. And it kind of took a while for him to establish himself uh, his path in the NBA, I spent some time at Community College in Central Washington. Then last year played for the G League Ignite program, and that really solidified his standing, likely to go late in the first round. Goni has him going number 26. It's kind of, a, you know, I think the idea is he's going to be kind of an energy defender on the wing, good athleticism in the NBA. So if we get three Seattle guys in the first round, that's an impressive year. All right. Well, I guess before we talk about uh, the trade that the Blazers made and maybe what's next for the Blazers. Looking at this draft last year, this was the moment. This were like a year out from when we learned about Shengun, or at least I learned about Shengun. Looking at this draft, is there another Shengun? Is there another player that's maybe sitting in the fringe of the lottery, outside of the lottery, that you're expecting from your stats or whatever to have an impact on the NBA that we're going to be paying attention to? The type of player that's going to be on the players to watch list next year. You know, it's interesting because I think Tari Eason could be that guy. Like he is the second highest ranked in my projections of anyone who's outside the lottery. The highest is Walker Kessler, who's a seven-one center from Auburn, highest block rate of anyone in my projections. But you also kind of know the way he plays. It's not, you know, he's not a super mobile big man. He tried to shoot the three, can't really do it. So it's kind of that big man that's being phased out of the NBA. So I don't know how valuable he's going to be. Eason is probably an easier fit in that regard. Uh, looking a little lower, there's no, again, there's no one I feel as strongly about as Shengun or anywhere close. Uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr. was a really terrific prospect coming out of EYBL, where which makes up a big portion of his projection for me and why he's a lot higher than he is in the mocks is the middle of the second round. And then he played for his father at Milwaukee. He went to, you know, he's a five-star recruit, goes to play at in conference usa horizon league i'm not even sure where milwaukee plays its basketball games and would really struggled in the really? handful of games he played and dealt with some injuries struggled in milwaukee yeah huh so he ended up dropping into the second round but i, I kind of like him as a pedigree play just based on that uh christian brown out of kansas is someone I, I i like in terms of his projections i think just a very solid shooter you know good athlete on the wing with good size so someone who's kind of a classic nba fit uh and then maybe the other one to mention you were talking to me about peyton watson from ucla who barely played there this past season averaged 3.3 points per game could go in the first round it's bonkers i'd never even heard of this person and i was saying like i don't necessarily think he's good but i don't think you have to play a lot as a fre- as a true freshman to be a good nba prospect and josh Minot out of memphis who's you know, kind of a, an energy forward, but it has a little skill for that that kind of archetype uh, is the guy I really like who could go late in the first or early in the second. Okay, who's your favorite player in the draft? Opening it up to everybody. Keegan Murray. Keegan Murray? Out of Iowa. Okay. I mean, I don't, like, I'm not that much higher on him than everyone else. Well, you, He's I mean, probably two, two years go ago, fit. Halliburton was your dude. Yes. Right? Last year, Shingun was your dude. Yes. This year, it's Keegan Murray? Yes. What's his deal? Super efficient scorer, can score in so many different ways. He shoots the three. He moves well without the ball. He's got a post-up game, finishes well. Kind of my comparison for him is like 
Thaddeus Young, but if Thaddeus Young could shoot threes, okay. which was always the weakness in his game. Everybody in this draft is taller than I expect them to be. <laughs> that's, I, what, that's what the basketball is now. Are there any guards in this draft? There are some guards in this draft. I mean, the every player. Like, I'm like Jabari Smith. He's a guard, right? Paulo, he's a guard, right? Like they're not even wings. They're like six ten wings. I mean, Jaden Ivey's like six three, six four. Okay, he's, thank he's God. Pretty small. One freaking guard in this draft. And he's extremely fun to watch. Like he doesn't come out great in my projections, and I do have some questions about him in the NBA. But he is super fun. Like there's a lot of John Morant to his game. Okay. So. But so where is Keegan, Keegan Walker? Is that you said the right? Keegan Murray. Keegan Murray. Uh, he probably will go fifth is okay. the most likely scenario. And so there's a lot of scuttle about maybe Sacramento trying to move back to a spot or two. Detroit, who's at four, presumably really, like Jaden Ivey would be an awesome fit for them next to Cade Cunningham. And Keegan Murray makes more sense for Sacramento in many ways. Why don't they just draft Jaden Ivey at four then? Because De- Detroit Sacramento has five. four, Detroit is oh, five. okay. Why don't they just draft the players they want at four and five respectively? Because it's not maximizing their value. I guess so. The other guy I really like is not even going to get drafted. And I'm not even... I like. We'll see if he even gets signed to play Summer League. Are you bringing up yourself again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm retired. You know that. We talked about that on the pod. There's this guy named Jake Gilliard from Richmond. Five, okay. Five-year player in college. He's like 24 now. Oh, oh, almost 24. 24 years old? Well, for the NBA draft. <laughs> Still. <laughs> NCAA's all-time steals leader. Really? Helped lead Richmond to an upset in the first round this year. Uh, has always just been off the charts in my projections. He's like 5'9", is the other thing. He's just too short. He's, he's very old and very short. There's <laughs> nothing that NBA teams want. But if he gives him a chance... <laughs> God willing, I would be 24 years old and 5'9". <laughs> Wouldn't wouldn't we always? <laughs> Any time I am just, taller you, you than can, Jacob Gilliard, I think. Trade me to be twenty four years old and five nine. I would be fine with that. God damn it! Really old and really short. <laughs> it's all relative. Super in her. I, I may have mentioned this last week on the pod. In her retirement press conference, quoted Derek Jeter as saying, "Like finally, I get to be young again at forty one." Yes. So it's all relative. Uh, Blazers, they got they got the guy Jeremy Grant. We've we, talked about this since February. This has been an ongoing thing, and it felt like the chatter kind of continued around Jeremy. They just I mean, did it not get down for a Jeremy period Grant. here, but that maybe was it was a little too quiet. It turned out because the Blazers were making this trade. Uh, you know, after the idea was for a long time, like they'd send the New Orleans pick this year, which was going to be like you know eleventh. To Detroit for Jeremy Grant. Instead, well, what did that pick end up being? Not that good. They didn't even get the pick, right? They didn't get the pick. They instead got a Milwaukee pick in 2025, and that's what they sent to Detroit uh, for okay. Jeremy Grant. <clears throat> in addition to the swapped second round picks. So they basically did second-round. give them that pick. It's the same thing. But that pick, it's not as valuable. Like It would have been better for them if they had the yeah. 11 pick. So this is a probably better value deal for the Blazers from that standpoint, even if the result for them is a wash. What, what's next for the Blazers? Uh, so they still have the number seven pick. Uh, there's been a lot of talk linking them to OG Aninobe of Toronto, who would be another great fit in Portland. I mean, it would surprise me if they brought in both Aninobe and Jeremy Grant from the standpoint of those are two guys who have talked about, you know, wanting to have the ball in their hands and make plays. I guess Aninobe hasn't talked about it, but that's been kind of the report for why he might want out of Toronto. And they still have Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons, so that's kind of a lot, a lot of... Uh, 
you know, touches to go around. But, uh, I mean, he would be, again, an awesome fit there. So, What if they stick at seven? Who do you, who do you see going to Portland? The two names that get mentioned the most for them is Shadon Sharp, okay. who was at Kentucky but didn't play at all last year. Why did he not play last year? Uh, I mean, he came in late, and I think he probably correctly... Well, I think the assumption probably was it's safer not to play than to, you know, potentially play and, and hurt your stock a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does seem like his stock has fallen a little bit since he started working out for teams as compared to, you know, his his upside range seemed higher. It's, it's unlikely There's at this no point I'm going in the top six. He's going higher than fourth, though. Yeah, but now he's probably not going in the top six. I think seventh to Portland is the highest he could probably go. Oh, okay. I mean, these are pretty small margins here. Yeah, but it's it's still notable. Uh, and then the other players, Dyson Daniels, who is an Australian who played for G League Ignite last year, uh, he projects really well in my stats. I was kind of surprised I watched him play, watched him tape of him last week, and I wasn't as impressed as I expected. Not a super athlete, but uh, does have a lot of craft to his pick and roll game. What position does Dyson Daniels play? He's a, like a six seven point guard. Okay, so. The players just kind of need that, I feel like. I mean, he, the size element, like if he got to be a good enough shooter that you could play him with Dame, I think it would it would work potentially. Is Dame, Dame, they're building around Dame. This team is not rebuilding. Yeah, they got Jer- they got Jeremy Grant because Jeremy Grant played with Dame at the Olympics. Okay, Dame was I, like, I want to play with some of the guys I played with in the Olympics. That's part of why, and obviously Jeremy Grant was one of the few that was probably available. Uh, I mean, you do know. you think that's part of why they targeted Jeremy Grant so much in particular? Yes, where he was just—it was just like for Dame, and it also turned out to be a clean fit because they could fit him into the trade exception that they created in the McCollum trade, and not have to send back anything in return. So they ultimately traded CJ for Jeremy Grant, pretty much CJ and, and Larry Nance Jr. for Jeremy Grant and Josh Hart. How how would you grade that trade now? I think that that whole package is like a B plus for the Blazers. Yeah, that's not bad. Because they got two and a half years younger. They got 12 million cheaper. I mean, maybe I forget how much the difference is between Hart and Nance, but that's the difference between McCollum and Grant. And it's a better fit. Like, obviously, like we've tried the Dame CJ thing. <laughs> we just needed to mix it up. Uh, I don't know if that's fully true. CJ is obviously still a good player. Yeah, without question. But he's also more valuable when he's not playing next to Damian Lillard, as it turns out. And he'll have a couple more years of being a player. So the, so the expectation is that they're going to extend Dame. Yeah, they'll extend Dame, and they'll also extend Jeremy Grant, who's eligible in six months to sign a four-year $112 million extension. Okay. So. so this is it. This is the Blazers roster. I mean, look, you can always make trades, but this is their core. Yeah. Jeremy Grant, Anthony Simons, and Damian Lillard. And Nurk coming back? The expectation is that Nurk will come back as well. Yes. I like it. I mean, they probably... that's The, the issue is... You know, this is what we talked about with the Seahawks, which is like, look, they can bring, they can keep Russell Wilson. They don't have to do a rebuild. And they're probably just going to slowly fade down, right? This year, there was a harder crash down because of the Russell Wilson injury. But like, is this Blazers core going to win the championship? Probably not. It would take a lot of spectacular drafting or development. And, but at the same time, they're going to be competitive for quite a few years. They're going to give them the shot because they do have some good young players and developing Simons and whatever, right? There are young players that they can develop. And if something breaks their way or they get lucky with one more player, maybe they're in the mix. But they're going to remain competitive for quite a long time. That's the hope. And I don't, I don't feel like bottoming out in the NBA 
has worked as well as people would have liked it to have, especially if it's only like a short-term rebuild. I don't think any strategy works as well as people would like it to work. But I mean, there's so many teams in the NBA that are just like really like directionless, right? You look at the Kings, the Pistons, the Wizards. I mean, like, the Pistons are not directionless. They have Kate, Kate Cunningham. The teams that are directionless are the teams that refuse to bottom out. And so they're constantly chasing this uh, dopamine hit of the 10th seed or the 8th seed. You said and that's they, what the Blazers are? Is that what you're telling me? But I, and, don't, I don't know that they are that yet. They certainly the, the, stand the you potential had to get the to get number there. one pick, and you had to get a player. Like, look, we'll see about Cade, but but Sacramento's whole problem is like we can't ever rebuild. We've have this long playoff drought. We have to try to end the playoff drought. And do you know why you have the playoff drought? Because you keep trying to not have the playoff drought. Let's go to the Mariners' hot takes. It's time for a your favorite segment. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners' hot takes coming at you. I'm do- I didn't. I didn't write this down. This is an actual take that I have. This is not exaggerated. Well, you didn't. But you did write it down, didn't you? I wrote nothing. No, this is oh, an actual take. Wow, you're just going off the cuff. I'm going off the cuff. I, this last weekend, as the Mariners were losing four or five to the Angels, giving up home runs to Mike Trout in every single at bat of the series. Not technically true, but it felt like it. I saw a lot of chatter from people on Twitter or whatever. Like people, people, the the tingly feeling around the Mariners is gone. Right. <laughs> what? I think that's been gone for a minute. And the reality is the Mariners are not going to make the playoffs this year. No. Unless something very unforeseen happens, a 15-game win streak. Even then, you look at it and you're like, if they had a 15-game win streak, they'd be in the mix. They probably would be in... How many consecutive games would they get to play the A's in this scenario? (laughs) They they could probably get to the third wild card. And so there was all this anger on Twitter with people being like, this is what they did wrong, right? Like, this is what Jerry DePoto did wrong. He didn't sign this player. He didn't sign this player. He didn't go all in enough. What the fuck are you looking for? Do you really want, as a Mariners fan, to get the third wild card? Like, is that that exciting to you? Ending a drought and getting the third wild card, but leveraging the entire future of the organization? Signing a 30-plus-year-old mediocre superstar? Right? Like, you can look at the Rangers who signed Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager, neither of whom is playing well. Those types of players, for the most part, have not worked out. What the Mariners needed to do is understand what last year was, which was a fucking fluke. It was They weren't as good as their record indicated. We all saw it because of the run differential. Like, the Mariners, I as little as I want to compliment them, and they fucked some stuff up also. The Robbie Ray contract was probably a bad contract. Because, again, well, adding... Nice, nice start last Friday. Just even a couple of nice starts, like, it doesn't really matter that much. Adding Robbie Ray does, has not transformed the organization in any way that almost any starting pitcher can, Right? Like, it has not changed things all that much. What the Mariners needed to do with this season was assume that last year didn't happen or say we're really excited about what we had last year and build upon that. And that's what they've done. They've brought up Julio. They actually developed a good young hitter for the first time in eternity, right? Ty France seems established as a star. But there's so many players that they can't count on as part of the organization. They need to say, our core is not set to win in 2022, our core is set to win in 2024. See what they have in Noel V. Marte. See what they have in Jared Kelenic. Let Julio grow into a superstar level player. Then you spend the money. 
It's not about spending money to try to make it to one third wild card, right? And then this is what the Mariners have done for two decades is they went out, they spent money on players and they didn't make the playoffs, but they sure got close on players like Cano and Cruz and stuff like that. It's just like, take your time, actually develop a young core of players. Every single team in baseball who has built up an actual organization that has lasted for a long period of time has done it this way. This is the model that the Mariners need to have. So these fucking people complaining about everything that Jerry DePoto did wrong this offseason need to understand exactly what last season was and realize where this team is going because this is not a team that's set up to win right now. This is a team that's set up to actually compete for a World Series in 2024, 2025. That's what they should be focused on. Whatever, 2027, there's good young pitching, there's good young hitting in the organization, but for the most part, those players are rookies. And you're not going to compete for a World Series with a couple of overpriced free agents and a lot of rookies on the roster. I've mentioned this before. It like kind of, it kind of I pay, I now pay enough attention. Angry. I now pay enough attention to the Mariners that I have perspectives about this, and it's like it's amazing what Julio has done. But Julio is not a good enough player on his own to be the best player or the second best player on a World Series winning team. Of course, like are they going to compete with the fucking Yankees at this point? No fucking way. I I always go back to this quote that Sam Presti said, uh, his first offseason well, in Sam Presti. Seattle. If it was Sam Presti, they'd be competing for like 2045. <laughs> Sam, Pres- Sam Presti must, he has a fucking eternity of a leash. It is like at some point that shit, is, you're going to get fucking hinky Sam Presti. And I can't wait for the day that that happens. And it's going to be because of, we didn't even utter his name, but it's going to be because of this draft pick that's coming up. Number two, baby, let's go. I mean, if you miss one draft pick and you've got 25 more to come, does it really? I will tell you, this is going to be a pretty hard miss. This is going to be a miss that reverberates, right? We're talking Morrison style. Oh, I can't wait. Again, the difference between Morrison and him is the, the Bobcats did not make 15 more picks over the next five years. Whatever. They can make 15 more picks from 15 to 32. The only thing the Thunder have they, going for them is their own picks. Their That's pick it. This year is number, That's it. Their other pick this year is number 12, courtesy of the LA Clippers. You'll also note that they have many Houston Rockets first round picks. We'll and the Rockets hey, are that Rockets also have a good young building. core. Good young core. Shangun Binkero. Uh, his comment was that he didn't particularly like that I liked this quote so much when he was first took over in Seattle was I don't want our our, our I don't want us being in the playoffs to be I can't I've got to paraphrase it now. I don't want our well getting said. back to the playoffs to be the celebration. I want it to be the beginning of something. Yeah, and it was for them. It absolutely was. Like, that was the thing is, like, there were some people that complained about, like, oh, it's like major league. They're, you know, trying to lose to be able to move. It's like, well, also for the last five years, you complained about the fact that the Sonics were constantly in the middle and refused to rebuild. Five years? How long was it from the 05 team? Was it? Well, the 05 team was the exception, but that complaining did it back to at least 2001, I think. So. They had a little different celebration. Like it's it's kind of a different scenario because when Sam, when Sam Presti took over, they had the cel- they didn't need a celebration of making the playoffs. They had the celebration of stealing the team. Uh, certainly, the fact that it worked out well in Oklahoma City. But guess who would have loved that team too? I mean, <laughs> the city of Seattle. It would have been huge. Yeah. So yes, I I agree with you. Julio Rodriguez is your timeline. Like he's the guy. You build everything around his timeline, not Robbie Ray's timeline. Not Jesse Winkler's timeline. Not Eugenio Suarez's timeline. Still Jesse Winker. 
What did I call him? Winkler? I don't sure think I said Winkler. You said Winkler for I sure. I intended to say Winkler at sure. the very least. But I agree with you. I, I mean, I 100% agree. I just... It's fine. Yeah, Julio Rodriguez is the timeline. Plus others. It's not necessarily... I mean, Julio is at, but at the top. But he's the central piece. And the just same, like Griffey was the timeline when he came up. Yeah, so all they need to do is get four other Hall of Fame players to put around Julio Rodriguez. Like I don't, and then have them all leave, and then they'll be good. (laughs) By the way, the Kevin Mitchell trade definitely ignoring the timeline. Shouts to Kevin Mitchell. Uh, Anything else in the murders? That's I says no. They should play every game against the A's. Wow, they didn't even play well against the A's when they were here a couple weeks ago. But they did. They did Wednesday night. Uh, They've won two in a row, like combined, like. I think 18 to zero or something. Sounders got a one, one draw Sunday, Saturday against LAFC as part of the Caracino cup. We haven't talked about the Caracino cup yet. They were the opener. The Mariners were the closer and the Mariners blew that save. As it turned out, I guess it wasn't a save because they were tied, but uh, they came in in the ninth with a tie game and they blew that lead to Mike Trout. 17 to two. Uh, is this the Seattle finished one two and one in the Carasino Cup? LA a victorious two one and one. So congrats on your move. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not upset about this. No, I, I'm sure you're not. Uh, just, I'm going to be going to some uh, uh, Gilroni. <laughs> Gilronis. Gilronis game. Let us know how that yeah. Giltinis. They're Gil, the Giltinis. The Gilronis are in Austin. Okay, I, I thought they were both in LA. No, no. One, one of is in Austin. one is in Austin. <laughs> That would be really a flex if they were both in LA. I thought he was just like, fuck it. <laughs> they made it by teams in two Angels different places. And was, the Dodgers. There's like one place that he's been to and one place he hasn't been to. So the Giltinis are in LA? Yes. And the Gilgronis are in Austin. Okay. I'm I'm more of a Gil, Giltinis guy. <laughs> uh, despite an open of style of play on Saturday, the matchup of two Western Conference powers yielded just a goal apiece. Sounders struck first in the 58th minute when Albert Rushnak capitalized on a ball uh, inexplicably played out by LAFC keeper Max Cropo, intercepting the pass, heading towards goal and finishing clinically. After some Stefan Fry heroics to keep it tied, LAFC equalized your Chico Arango header in the 79th minute. Things ended that way. Uh, Sounders still seventh in the Western Conference. On Saturday, they'll welcome Sporting Kansas City, another nationally televised game on ABC. Sporting KC will be coming off a match in the U.S. Open Cup quarterfinals on Wednesday night. They are tied for last in the Western Conference with 16 points from 17 matches thus far. O.L. Reign got Seattle's lone win in the Carosino Cup on Saturday, beating Angel City FC 1-0 at home. Bethany Bolser with the game's lone goal in the first half as they beat an Angel City team that was without star Kristen Press, who was diagnosed with an ACL tear earlier in the week. So get well soon for Kristen Press. After making her first start of the season and playing through the 72nd minute, Megan Rapino was set off from the bench. And she received a second yellow card after getting one on the pitch. It is the first red card of Megan Rapinoe's career. Wow. Which seems kind of amazing. You gotta earn it. She will miss the Raids next match after this weekend's international break. Some other rain news. They signed Canadian international Jordan Heidema, a 21-year-old forward most recently with PSG. Heidema grew up across the border with Washington in British Columbia, was part of the Canadian team that won gold last year in Tokyo. She's been a reserve so far for PSG with six goals and 45 league matches, but already has 14 on her account with the national team. Seattle Storm on the Suburb Retirement Tour beginning that last weekend. Uh, first at 
Connecticut, where she played college basketball, suffering an 82-71 loss. They led that one going to the fourth on Friday, only to be outscored 26-13 in the final period, the second time the Sun have come from behind in the fourth quarter against the Storm. On Sunday, in New York, final visit there, playing in Brooklyn. Storm got a career-high 23 points from Gabby Williams, a real breakthrough performance from her. And Bird wrapped up that final scheduled trip with a three-pointer in the final minutes to finish, in the final minute, I should say, to finish the scoring. Uh, that, you know, she really, really was excited about that as a, a way to wrap up her career in New York. It kind of echoed a game-winning three that she'd had uh, at Madison Square Garden back when the Liberty used to play there back in 2007. And then in her walk-off interview with Holly Rowe, finished it with a big bong interview to the next fans that was good stuff i felt like that was a pretty baller performance by sue oh just for sure the timing of all of it i think was uh very impressive i mean she also yeah she came out like firing in that game it was like f it i'm retiring yeah what, what, is it, what are we gonna get benched <laughs> i'm letting it fly all-star captain. No, it was pretty cool to see. I mean, I don't think I really realized how important New York was to Sue Bird. <laughs> Sue Bird, who's from Syosset, New York, Long I Island. Oh, this wasn't really something that I was paying that much attention to. Famously <laughs> from New York. Although she clarifies that she's not from the city, but she played at Christ the King in, in the city. I mean, I think of her more linked to UConn, Connecticut. yeah, than than the. City I mean, of New and York. certainly her her trip next trip there is going to be emotional. This wasn't his emotional I mean, game because was, they've got one more game to play in Connecticut. Really, all about New York. She would have gone to St. John's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think I don't know the St. John's women's program was at that point. Rutgers was maybe a more viable alternative. In New Jersey. New Jersey. She also talked post game about how like she wasn't sure what her recruiting ranking was, and I looked it up. Sue was a big time recruit. Like she was considered the best player in that U- their UConn recruiting class that year. Included Swin Gash, uh-huh. two other players, Tamika Raymond and uh, Asia Jones, who Asia Jones now works for the Blazers. Uh, Tamika Raymond just became the head coach at Dayton. Four of them, all four of them, got drafted in the first round that year, and Sue was considered the best of them going to UConn. So a pretty considerable recruit. Uh, Storm back home now to start a four-game homestand on Thursday, the longest remaining this season. And uh, they play Thursday, they play Washington, who's got an Atlanta Deladon back playing an all-star level this year. Saturday, it's Los Angeles, the first visit back for Jordan Canada in the regular season. Uh, So that'll be an interesting one. And uh, a note... Note to keep an eye on WNBA contracts guarantee for the season after Friday for players who are currently non-guaranteed. Rashonda Gray, probably the player whose spot would be in question. She's kind of been the uh, the tenth player on the roster with Mercedes Russell sidelined due to injury. And if they want the flexibility to potentially bring in someone else in that spot, basically because they're they're more or less they're very close to being out of cap room they would need to uh make a move there and they could potentially re-sign Rashonda Gray to a seven-day contract right away they don't necessarily need to or they could I guess it would be 10 days away that they would be able to do that but or no they can do it right away but uh would would have to do that to have have the flexibility to bring in Lauren Jackson is what I'm saying okay when (laughs) when would they bring in Lauren Jackson not, not right away, probably. All right, let's wrap up with the Seahawks. 
uh, report from NFL insider Josina Anderson on Wednesday on Twitter. I'm told the Seahawks still have a high level of interest in acquiring quarterback Baker Mayfield and behind the scenes are open to contractually extending him per league source. I also know that the process of collecting information and insights into Mayfield is still ongoing. Uh, in response to that, Bob Condota, the Seattle Times, kind of downplayed the idea that that was, you know, anything had changed with the Seahawks. While the tweet was understandably attention-getting, Condota wrote, all indications Wednesday were that nothing has changed with the Seahawks' stance regarding Mayfield. The Seahawks would be interested in Mayfield if he is released or possibly for a draft pick if the Browns were to take on a significant portion of Mayfield's contract. It's thought that, for now, teams which might be interested in Mayfield continue to wait, hoping the Browns will eventually release him. Okay, so I, I guess there's not a lot to understand exactly from this tweet. and But for me, I think the most important piece of this was the Seahawks tweeting later in the day, QBs. <laughs> I mean... I mean, one thing I know from experience, like obviously social media has evolved to play a different role in organizations than it did when I last worked for the Storm in 2012. It's not like coming directly from Pete Carroll. Hey, no, no, no. I, I'm tweet. not saying that these were in response to each other. I think they were unrelated. But I don't think they were unrelated. But the amount that the social media team on the Seahawks knows in this moment about the conversations that are having in the background, I'm pretty skeptical of. I, I agree with that. Seeing... Geno Smith, Drew Locke, and Jacob Eason. Oh, you're just, as, it's just a stark, a stark reminder I, of what we're looking at. I am still so all in on Baker Mayfield. And the way that the league is responding to Baker Mayfield is kind of bonkers to me. Like, it, it doesn't make sense based upon his on-field play how uninterested the league is in Baker Mayfield. Now, this idea that the Seahawks are going to extend Baker Mayfield, I think, is a pretty questionable thing. I'm, but not, it, I'm not sure exactly what that means i it, don't know the i mean if if they're not going to take him at his current 18 million they're not going to extend him off of that either but there is also like it all depends on what the dollar amount is yeah. i don't think baker mayfield thinks that he's worth any less than 18 million at this point or is probably willing to take any less but if they were to find a deal that was like at, at a reasonable range in the 15 million a year territory like baker mayfield is worth that money he's probably even worth that money as a backup hypothetically i mean it is strange if you compare it to carson wentz and, like, Washington gave up a draft I, pick does to not get make Carson sense Wentz, right? It does not make sense to me how, how teams... We're talking about teams will fucking talk themselves into anything for somebody who played well five, six years ago, six games at the end of the 2018 season, possibly. <laughs> We're talking about Drew Locke? Drew Locke, yes. 2019. The 2019 season? Yeah, I think so. But how how Baker has become, like, such a pariah around the NFL, like... He still has value as a quarterback. I would much rather have Baker than probably almost half the quarterbacks in the league, right? Almost half is probably strong, but I think probably a, at least a third, I would say. That's the territory that he sits in, though. Yeah. Right? Like you, I, I think you can compete for a Super Bowl with Baker Mayfield as your quarterback if your roster is good enough. So not the Seahawks, then. I... I don't think the rest of the, the roster is very good. The Seahawks' offense is probably good enough. If there's the right quarterback, it's a pretty good offense. You know, you know, they're still considered to have the number 32 offensive line in football, right? Well, <laughs> two draft picks. <laughs> yeah, that's not helping you right away. That's great for two Brand new left tackle. It's great right for, tackle. they're on Julio Rodriguez's timeline. <laughs> the Seahawks are on, they are not. They're, their head coach is 68 years old, maybe older. Like, they are not on Julio Rodriguez's timeline. They are on Pete Carroll's timeline. I think he's 70. They're 70 old head coaches timeline. 
Same age as Jan. Uh, but I, that was my main takeaway was seeing this tweet with, whether, whether it comes to fruition or not, it excited me. The idea of Baker Mayfield, like I would go into this next season being like, it's a chance to compete for the playoffs. I mean, the other thing I'm skeptical about is look, the Deshaun Watson's legal situation, you know, they, they settled a number of these lawsuits that were outstanding against him. Does that reduce the chances that he gets suspended by the NFL? I, I, I don't think so. He'll definitely be suspended by the NFL. We have no idea what that's going to mean. I think Roger Goodell, after post-Ray Rice, is probably going to err on the side of harsher rather than softer. I mean, it's funny you say that because obviously there was a criticism about that, but that was the whole thing when Roger Goodell took over. It's like all of a sudden, you know, he's the enforcer and there these long suspensions for players for off-field behavior. It was just which type of off-field behavior drew those suspensions yes. uh, was not perhaps in keeping with the values of the league's fans. I, I think this one, given the, like, the, the public nature of it, I think Deshaun Watson's going to get a long suspension. But like, why is Cleveland treating Baker Mayfield at all at that point? Unless it's... And it's I not did, about I did love this idea. You don't have to play for them. I mean, if he wants to make money, he does have to play for them. I, I, players have held out all the time. Worst players have held out. Fucking Le'Veon Bell sat, sat out for an entire year. Yeah, as but a Le'Veon Bell sat out so he would not get injured while he was making a small salary before he could make the big salary. This is as big a salary as Baker Mayfield can expect to get at this point. The way he gets a bigger salary is by playing and playing well. Yes. I was going to say, That's I, the difference. I do not buy that this is necessarily the biggest salary of Baker Mayfield's entire career. I don't know if it's the biggest salary of his entire career, but it's he's the biggest salary he's going to see if he holds out. Like, he's going to be playing for the minimum next year if he holds out this no year. No way. Yes. No quarterback of Baker's I mean, I think he might playing be playing for the, for the minimum this season you if he gets are, released by Cleveland. Oh my God, the minimum? Yeah. That is absurd. There's not really bidding wars when guys get released like that. We'll definitely see. But I mean, like, maybe Cam got, I guess Cam got more than the minimum. The, the minimum? He gets, he gets $8 million minimum. I mean, I don't know if we can wager on this because he's not been released yet. He may not. I just made the case that he's not going to get released, but he's probably not. I would be I'm willing to wager you, on there's, it. Baker Mayfield will never in his entire career play for the minimum. <laughs> then that's that's going to be Baker Mayfield's choice, not the NFL's choice. <sighs> Anything else? Here? I, no, I'm I'm just very confused by the situation. I don't. I think I think there is the piece of he has earned the reputation around the NFL of quote unquote locker room poison or something like that. I think the way that Odell Beckham's tenure ended there really soured people on Baker in general. I mean, he was playing to, again. Who knows what the reality is? But Baker's played through injury multiple seasons in a row and has not been that bad of a quarterback. I mean, I think the question is. Is his size and his style of play make him particularly susceptible to injury? But I mean, I what is that's... his style of He's not a running quarterback. But I think he's willing to take chances. Like, you know, it's funny because people think about that with Russell Wilson. Like, oh, he's short. Well, first off, he's like built like a tank. And second off, Russ doesn't, he gets hit in the pocket a lot. But when he runs, he never gets hit, basically. He's always getting down or getting out of bounds. I don't think that Baker Mayfield has quite that same approach as many quarterbacks do not. I mean, he had one very bad season this last year. Like, you look at it QBR-wise, 
65.5 in 2020. Like, he was a valuable quarterback after the 2020 season. I mean, I'm not saying I necessarily think that Baker is a bad quarterback. I do think, by the way, he was in a pretty favorable situation with that offensive line. And then you throw him in front of the number 32 offensive line. Might be a different story. Uh, I think that the perception of the NFL, for the reasons he outlined, and the fact that he didn't play well, like, he's not getting extended that benefit of the doubt. And Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz, fucking unvaccinated Carson Wentz is just like, he will keep going. He'll be traded for first round picks forever. At some point, there's a kind of run out. I, did, I don't know if it will. It's like a Ponzi scheme at some point. Trading Carson Wentz is a Ponzi scheme. I mean, it ran out with Russell Westbrook. Like Teams were able to do it for a while. Like, okay, yes, we gave him a lot to get Russell Westbrook, but we're going to get a first round pick in return for him. Was it a first round pick that Carson Wentz got traded, or was it a second round pick? I, I, don't, I don't think it was a first rounder, but it was definitely positive. Last value. year it was a first rounder? It was, yes. Less than 12 months ago, I think. NFL teams. Uh, some interesting reporting here from the Sports Business Journal and later the aforementioned Condota confirms something that was previously mentioned apparently by Brock Heward. A clause in the bill funding the construction of Lumenfield that requires 10% of the gross price from the sale of the Seahawks to go to the public stadium authority if Paul Allen or his now his estate become less than minority investors in the team within 25 years of the first bonds funding the stadium going on sale. After SBJ reported on this last week, Condota was able to confirm on Wednesday that 25 years date is May 1st, 2024. So basically, if the Allen Trust, led by Jody Allen, were to divest entirely of the Seahawks in a sale between now and the start of May 2024, 10% of the amount goes to the public stadium authority. If they wait till May 2nd, 2024, they get 100%. So... Assuming that the timetable in Kondota has not confirmed what Art Teal reported a few months ago or last month that there's a 10-year window from Paul Allen Passy away for the, his estate to be entirely liquidated by the trust, but that 10 years would certainly go well beyond May 2024. It seems likely the logical conclusion is this team will not be sold within the next basically two years. So Yeah, that totally makes sense. I don't really know what to say. I think people are almost like, I don't want to call it wish casting about a sale of the Seahawks. There's, there's still, I feel like a, a sexism element to it where they're just, they're just like a femme person cannot own an NFL team period. And people just, it just gets, it sticks in there and it's just going to be a story forever. But there's almost just like the wish casting is more for there to be a story. If that makes sense. <laughs> we're just like, give me information right like i want to be content yeah content and th that's what it really feels like with this where it's kind of just like just it, it's the same with the expansion story too where it's just like something bubbles up every once in a while and it's just like fucking let's just wait until something's real here instead of in it about the mariners right instead of jumping the gun and being like three years ahead we need to just go all in for the wild card we we'll like cool the fuck off and try to win a world series right <laughs> there's all sorts of other shit going on it's finally got sunny sold. We got, we got one full weekend. Just go to fucking Ivers on the waterfront. Live your fucking life. Touch grass for a second. Stop worrying about who owns the Seahawks. <laughs> Do start worrying about the ninth best quarterback in EPA plus CPOE composite in 2020. Mr. Baker Mayfield, thank you. Ahead of, I mean, Justin Herbert was a rookie. But like, I mean, look at a lot of these players. Drew Locke doesn't rank that well. Drew, I love that Gwen's is number 32. <laughs> Last 
worst. This motherfucker had, was the worst quarterback in the NFL and got traded for a first-round pick after that season. And you're telling me that Baker Mayfield is going to get cash dumped with him, picks dumped with him, is going to be released? What are we doing here? Men will literally trade for Carson Wentz instead of going to therapy. Oh, my God. I mean, he's in the same territory as, like, his, his peers are, like, Russ, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr. I mean, an elderly Phil Rivers and Drew Brees, but Lamar, Kyler, Herbert, St- Matthew Stafford at number 17. How many draft picks were given up for Matthew Stafford? How quickly we go from complaining about a 24-year-old in the draft is old to calling Phil Rivers elderly. I mean, that's what they were. Phil Rivers was playing his last season. They were both playing their last season in the NFL. But still elderly. <laughs> Sorry. I just don't... I don't get what's going on. I fucking... I'm starting to think maybe football might be bad. <laughs> Don't know where you would have gotten that idea from. <laughs> Baker came in the year in the NFL in 2018. Is that right? Yes, because this would be his fifth and final season of his rookie contract. Uh, the other Seahawks news this week: they signed defensive tackle Brian Monet, who was on a 965,000 tender this season to a two-year extension. According to Over the Cap, the only guaranteed money in that extension is the $1.5 million signing bonus. Uh, Monet will also get 500k roster bonuses each of the next two years, as well as a little more than 500k in per-game roster bonuses for each game he's active. There's a $2.3 million base salary in 2023, $4.9 million in 2024. That 2024 number feels a little high for basically a run-stopping defensive tackle, but uh, obviously not something they're obligated to pay at that point. They'd be able to move on with just the 500K cap hit at that point. So, uh, you know, kind of, this is one of those things where we talk so much about the extension, and we'll see, we'll see what it actually ends up looking like when the contract Are we plays out. talking so much about the Brian Monet extension? <laughs> I don't know. If we're I have much. no no comment. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not talking so much. People report the full number. Yes. That may not be what Brian Monet actually ends up saying. So hopefully he does. Hopefully he plays very well and earns this entire contract. But that would that was kind of my takeaway from seeing the actual structure of this contract. You got any more Baker Mayfield stats? I'm just I'm consumed by this now. He's gonna consumed by this. 2019. It's. It's been I mean, he up was, and but down he was one spot below Josh Allen. You know, they were in the same draft, right? Or was Josh Allen the year after him? Uh I, I don't know. I can't remember anymore. It all runs together at some point. I think he was Josh Allen was the year after, or the year before. Wait. <laughs> No, they're in the same draft. Okay. Yes. Well, those were the only three options. It was only either before, after, or the same draft. Oh, no. I was talking with the linebacker, Josh Allen. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other option. On that note. Can we, can we comment that Saquon Barkley was the second pick of this draft? <laughs> the Giants, they, they mocked people with this pick, and at, Josh Allen, like, Franchise-altering quarterback. I mean, in fairness to the Giants, people didn't want them to take Josh Allen. People people like us thought Josh Allen was a wildly overrated prospect, and we wanted them to take Sam Darnold, who hasn't been traded for a first-round or a high-draft pick in over 12 months now. Wow, it's been so, a while. It's been a while. NFL there also was a quarterback who won an MVP in his first full season, draft, <laughs> drafted with the last pick of the first round. I'm not familiar with him. Man, it is... That is really a good one. Oh, 
predictions are hard. Wow, and another team drafted a running back in the first round too. Huh, who, could, who might that have been? I mean, look, the he's... Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> the Seahawks did draft a generational running back yes. in the first round. 6.2 yards per carry, but last season. Honestly, going into next year, who, which of these running backs do you feel the best about? No, without question. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. So there you go. That's where the first round pick. And also Nick Chubb in the second round. But without Baker Mayfield, we'll see. We'll see where his career goes. <laughs> yeah. Can he keep it up without Baker Mayfield? On that note, let's get to our interview with Jamal. We are thrilled to welcome back to the pod the newest member of the Pelton Cast Hall of Fame. And also, it's the first time we've spoken since you announced your retirement. So congrats on that and, and moving into a new phase of your career in the broadcast space. But uh, welcome back, Jamal Crawford. Thanks so much for having me. I think the last time we connected, we happened to be in UW, I feel like. We were doing an interview in person, I believe. Yeah, Besides that's you coming guys. out to the program and stuff. So yeah, glad to be back. Thank you. Yeah, and saw you out at the uh, Lenny Wilkins Street naming back in, oh, yeah, back yeah, in yeah, November. Absolutely. Um, let's, let's start by you are going to be back on the court this Sunday, the Champions of Change charity game at Climate Pledge Arena. How did you get connected in with this group of former Seahawks putting this on? Well, I've known Cliff, uh, Doug, and Mike for a long time, Cliff better than the other two, but um, they're always doing something in the community, you know, and so for me, uh, that's what I'm about. It was a no-brainer. Uh, obviously, it was, you know, connecting the community, doing good work in community, playing a basketball game, like, of course, just let them know the day. Um, so they talked about it months ago, actually, maybe, maybe a year ago, they mentioned it, and I was like, I would love to, I'd be honored to, obviously, um, being that was my first time in climate pledge as well. So I'm excited about that. Excited about all the people uh, coming out to participate. Excited about all the fans that's doing there and it's all going for a good causes. So I'm excited about it. Wait, first time playing at climate pledge or have you not been a, even as a fan? No, I haven't been there. I haven't been to a hockey event or anything yet. So I haven't been in the climate pledge since it was climate pledge. So yeah, I'm excited about it. It's definitely very different from Key Arena, suffice wow. it to say. Yeah, see, I, I don't even know the feel or the energy or anything. What's different about it to you? I mean, first off, you know, spending a lot of time, you know, kind of in the bowels of the arena is you obviously will prepping for the game. And I do like it used to be all concrete and, you know, it wasn't very well done under there. Now it's it's a professional modern arena in that. Oh, regard. wow. Well, does it still have that, 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 that family type? feel where it feels like the fans are right there on top of you you still feel connected that that is the loss a little bit i think in the lower bowl i mean obviously it's, yes. a, it's a really deep lower bowl particularly in the end zones but the the sidelines you know they're still limited in space there so the upper bowl kind of feels more on you it's not like a staples center or okay. you, know, you you obviously were at a chase center during the finals i think right yes i was there okay yeah. all right well, it doesn't I'm feel as cavernous as those yeah, well, I'm excited this Sunday to see the field and just take everything in and just be a part of something good that's going on. All right, what other members of the Seattle basketball community can we expect to see on Sunday? Uh, I think Isaiah Thomas. I think Malachi Flynn, possibly. I think Will Conroy. Um, and then, obviously, Sue, right? Gary Payton, Sean Kemp. Um, that's all I know off the top. I know a lot of Seahawks, a lot of – to Seattle Royalty. I think Lenny may be out there as well. So I'm sure Dead Left may stop by, maybe, possibly. Eldra Kasser, I think. So you see a lot of Seattle legends in the house. Yeah, I mean, you'd expect that. It, it sort of does feel like there's a bit of a passing of the torch. Like Lenny Wilkins' foundation just wound down. Dead Left, same thing. And now it's kind of this new generation of Seattle athletes taking the charge uh, from that standpoint. 
Absolutely. And, and those guys have done such good work for so long, for decades, right? And impacted so many lives. And I think even the generation that's coming after them has played a small part in that, has seen that up close and personal. And I think it's resonated with us. So we're all trying to do our part now. And that's what's about this community in this area is passing the baton, you know, and, and you pass the baton and hope it keeps going. And, you know, each one, teach one. You mentioned Sue Bird. Uh, she obviously announced her retirement uh, effective at the end of the season last week. And she was asked about this on Sunday after the last trip for her to New York uh, scheduled this season. And one of the things she mentioned talking about being a part of this event on Sunday was really feeling accepted by the Seattle basketball community. And you specifically saying that, you know, even though she didn't grow up here, she's a Seattle Hooper now. So what's that connection like with Sue? She's just, I mean, words can't really describe what she's meant to our community. I know she's meant so much to people all over the world, but this community specifically, all the stuff she does on the court, all the stuff she does more importantly off the court, she's accessible. You can reach out and, and see her at an event. You can see her, you can, she makes herself like any other human in our community. She doesn't put herself on this pedestal, even though she is and rightfully so, but she's one of us and she really is. And she's done so much good work. Uh, you know, she's, when you talk about Seattle athletes and people that have played here, male, female, whatever, any sport, she's at the top of the list. And, and I think it's safe to say she'll be at the top for a long, long, long time. And we're just honored to uh, be able to let her, you know, take us on this magic carpet ride through the sky. Yeah, that's the exercise what we did last week after the announcement. I mean, you look at the the four championships, the 19 seasons here. Those are going to be really tough to top for anyone coming forward. Absolutely. And she made it look effortless. You know, obviously there's blood, sweat and tears that went into it, but she did it with such dignity and such class along the way. You know, and, and she's one of us. She really is. She embodies everything that's good about the city. No, we're recording this on the afternoon of the NBA draft. It's a big NBA draft, a big day for Seattle. You've got yes. Three Seattle guys potentially likely going in the first round. Paolo Bancaro going to be one of the highest drafted players ever from Seattle in all likelihood in the top three. Uh, and then also Marjan Beauchamp and, and Tari Eason. And one of the things I mentioned when we talked about this on, on earlier on the pod is, you know, Paolo and Marjan, I've been watching them for years at Cross yeah. Like I've seen them growing up. Like that's, right. it's got to be really cool for you to have played against them and seen them develop and surely help mentor them. Yeah, absolutely. Just seeing their journey, knowing how much they put into the game, how much they put into their craft, uh, how responsible young men they are. You know, the stuff they do to prepare for these moments, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the, the hours, the weeks, the months, the just on top of each other. And they have solid foundations with their families, uh, especially Paulo and his family I know very well. And they've done an amazing job setting his foundation. So they prepared him and other kids to go out in life and be successful. Whether it's basketball, football, or no sport at all, he was gonna be successful because he has work ethic, uh, he has class, he's, you know, he sees the big picture in a lot of things and that's rare for a young guy. And like you said, Tari and Marjan, you know, those are like basketball heads. You can put those guys anywhere and they'll wanna get better, right? And then um, Terrell Brown as well. You know, may not be a first round pick, but he may be one that sneaks in the back door second round. You never know. It's going to the draft. So, so many local guys doing great things. And to be able to watch these guys and be a small part of their journeys, you know, along the way, all three of those guys are in my camps. You know, I think those three were in camp, and Terrell may have been a counselor at camp a few years ago. So, it's amazing just to see how they progress. 
Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things we worried about a little bit with the Sonics move is, you know, is this going to impact the great number of basketball players, particularly on a per capita basis, we're producing from Seattle. But I think, you know, the examples of pro players, you in particular, the guidance you're providing has kind of helped ensure that that line has continued going well after there being men's professional basketball here. Yeah, I know what the Sonics did for me uh, to be able, I worked in Keering actually, but to be able to, uh, you know, touch a Gary Payton or Sean Kent or Ben Baker or Dedlin Shrimp or Nate McMillan or Eric Snow, you know, and work out with those guys. And they, for me, they helped make my dreams a reality. If I can touch them and they say, hey, you you got a chance. Like, if you continue to work and continue, I, that meant everything to me. I had a pro telling me I could be a pro and that changed my life. And uh, after the Sonics left and even before then, I feel like it was our duty, the guys who made it to the NBA, to give back to that generation because we were so far in the community. We walked these same streets played the same, uh, you know, boys and girls club these guys are in and did all the same things. So if they can reach out and touch us, and, you know, there's an eighth grader right now who can text Zach Levine and ask for advice or DeJounte Murray or Paolo or, or uh, Tari or Marjan or myself and Isaiah, all these guys, they can reach out and touch us. And that, that's kind of created its own ecosystem. So very, very thankful for it. I'm very thankful these guys are taking that baton and running with it. Uh, we're leading up a few weeks away here from the start of the crossover. What can we expect this summer out at uh, SPU? Another exciting summer. Uh, obviously, you never know who you're going to see. We have some young stars planned to come out. Uh, we always like to keep it fresh. We like to add a nice wrinkle every summer. Uh, keep it competitive. I know people are looking forward to it. Last year was our first year back after COVID. Very successful summer. Uh, even SPU, who allows us to perform there, we're shocked by how many people actually came out through the course of the summer. And I expect even more this year. We're opening things up a bit more. Uh, and we have more guys that want to come out. It's amazing when you get texts from guys all over the league, younger guys, like, hey, man, it's, it's really exciting out there. We want to be a part of that. And they reach out to you, you know. And so uh, I think, you know, it's free for everybody again. Everybody come out, bring your family. You never know who you're going to see. But I guarantee you'll see some big-time stars this year and you'll be entertained. I mean, that's great to hear as much as, you know, they're putting on a show for uh, for us. We want to make sure that we as the Seattle community give them a good experience. So everybody wants to come play here from that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've done that. I remember Blake Griffin was like, I've never been to Seattle. You know, he wasn't in the league drafted yet when the Sonics left. So or when they were here. So he wasn't privy to come to Seattle. So that was his first experience. And he was like, oh, I love it out here. He spent the weekend and he was like, maybe I'll buy something out there just because the fans made him feel so welcome and it was one of those sunny days and it was surrounded by water and trees, right? So, yeah, very thankful for all the, everybody that's come out and supported throughout the years. Yeah, I still remember Blake's appearance. I feel like it was him and Aziz Njai were going at it in that game. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Njai wasn't giving him anything. No. Him. It was like the playoffs. And Blake was like, hold on. But it was good because he didn't hurt Blake. And he made him go to another level and turn it up. And I think Blake ended with like 51 or whatever it was, some dunks, and, and everybody was entertained. Yeah, it was a great time. So looking forward to more of that with the crossover this summer. Uh, Jamal, really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Congrats again on the retirement and on being part of the Pelton Cast Hall of Fame. Surely, you know, we'll have to get you something that we can send you to go back in the uh, the background here with the, the six man awards in your jerseys and everything else. Absolutely. Being part of the Pelton Hall of Fame is like monumental for me. So thank you. Whatever you want to give me, T-shirt, whatever it is, I will definitely put it up in the office. Thank <laughs> you.